0: Thank you, God, for trusting me to be his dad. Thank you, Lord, that when a door closes, you're still going to take care of me. And thank you for cheetahs and pickles and fairings and mommies and daddy. Thank you, Father, for always giving me perspective. I'm so sorry. Thank you, God, that you are the
1: great physician of both my body and my soul.
0: Father, thank you for knowing my family's needs even before I do. And for ladybugs and old people and Disney movies and Miss Walker and don't. for reminding me that I'm never alone. Thank you, God, for what I have. And also, I wouldn't mind an upgrade soon. Thank you, Father God, for love, joy, peace, and patience. Lord, especially patience. And thank you for Jesse, even though he's mean during recess. Help him find a good friend. That's what he needs. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God, for childlike faith.
1: Happy Thanksgiving to you. Are we uh, on there? There we go. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is one, uh, one of the exciting holidays for me. I love Thanksgiving. I uh, Actually, I love Thanksgiving through Christmas. I love the whole holiday. Actually, through New Year's. I mean, uh, it's just a great time, isn't it? Uh, I am conscious, and I always want to be conscious, that sometimes the holidays are not always as great for others who maybe have memories attached to those holidays, maybe, uh, maybe through divorce or maybe through death or some tough time in their life. And so, uh, with that in mind, I think we all need to be conscious of each other and loving on each other, offering our table to each other, and those kinds of things to make sure. Uh, you know, we're taking care of one another as well as people out, uh, outside these walls here. But uh, what a great, uh, great thing. Uh, when I was thinking about uh, this lesson of thankfulness, I, uh, I was thinking about uh, the more research I was doing about how to reach the next generation. And so, uh, one thing that came to me was the, how that I am thankful. I, I thank you, God, for the Bible. Uh, of Americans believe the Bible is the actual word of God, inspired word of God, uh, and is to to be taken literally. 28%, that's not a lot. Although actually that's up a little bit from what it was in the late 70s. Now if you ask the question a little different, if you ask how many believe that the Bible is uh, inspired word of God without without adding on about taking it literally... Then the percentage goes quite a bit up, you know, uh, because of, uh, of some view, uh, certain things as symbolism a lot more and those kinds of things. And, and so I know sometimes stats can kind of be misleading because sometimes that kind of depends on how, uh, how you ask a question. Uh, but one of the reasons I, I was thinking about this was because I want to make sure, one, I want to make sure that I'm always looking and studying and growing myself uh, and us as a church, but also about the next generation. Uh, you know, one of the things about the millennials, those born 1982 and following that group, the young adults, that so we have a lot of great ones here, that if they have a faith, if they are Christian, and by that the survey was, uh, I think, had it down to where they regularly attended church at least once or twice a month. So that's kind of their parameter about that. But they had a high, the, the, uh, the uh, stats were they had a high view of scripture. And that they thought the Bible had the answers for how they should live life. Matter of fact, they held the Bible up as being a stronger influence of how to live life than church attendance, or than prayer, than worship, uh, 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 and uh, than taking communion. It was held up as a higher thing to influence their life than all those other things. And parents were even below that. Now... We're in a generation now, the millennials that are believers have a good faith and a high view of the Bible. Those who are not believers in uh, our country uh, uh, have a very, very low view of God's Word. And they associate it with words like history, story, mythology. And so what happens is, if you're a young adult, if you're in that group... Living out your faith is going to be much more in conflict with the culture and values of your generation than it was with my generation. In my generation, I was so thankful that little girl in her prayer said, and for old people, that, that helped, Jeremy, that was a good thing, you know. In my generation, the morals of what was right and wrong and respect for the Bible covered more than just people who went to church basically the whole culture and community thought that way so if my mom, my dad said don't do something my mom said it my uncle said it the principal said it my coach said it the superintendent said it and if i violated they all equally had the right to whip me for it right and so uh there was that kind of culture now our kids are growing up in a totally different situation Because their teachers aren't holding to what you hold to as morality necessarily. The principal may not hold to those views. The superintendent may not hold to the people have influenced their life. It may be much more of a conflictual situation. Matter of fact, young adults and teenagers, you are our missionaries into that culture. You're the ones that can make a huge difference. And I am confident, I am confident that you will. Look at these two uh, quotes. I like this by Rick Warren it said, "The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make us like the Son of God." That's really the whole goal of the Bible, isn't it? Or Dale Moody said, "The Bible was not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives." Or Matthew four four, he said it this way: No one can live only on food. People need every word. That God has spoken. If we're going to reach our culture and our world and especially pass on Christianity and a strong faith to the next generation. Then we've got to learn to, to, to gain great nourishment and guidance from the word of God itself. And I know you're probably like me or you're like other parents. You you get nervous about about your kids visiting other religious groups. Have they left doctrine? Look, I still believe in one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. I don't want them to give up conviction for experience. But it may be it's not a lack of giving up. It may be I've never had, I've never been taught, I've never really thought about what the Word of God means and the doctrine that it has for me to live a healthy spiritual life. In Psalm 119, the writer writes a section about the Word of God. Really the whole psalm, but I'm only going to use eight verses now. But before I read this, look. Psalm 119 was written like this. Anybody listening? Eight verses, eight verses, eight verses, eight verses, eight verses. Sections of eight verses is how it's written. It's very structured. And each section starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet in order. This was written for their generation very much in a structured way to be easily uh, memorized and be a part of their life. And he uses these words over and over again, the synonyms of, 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 of decrees or laws or statutes or precepts, He's going to, teachings. He's going to use those words over and over again in each one of these sections. And look, he's wanting them to, to learn, but he's also wanting them to experience because he says things like this. He talks about the, the Word of God being treasure. He talks about listening to the Word as, as if it was music and sound that comes to his heart. The writer's going to talk about tasting it as honey. He's going to talk about uh, valuing it as silver and gold. He's going to talk about your eyes Through understanding the Word, see the wonders of God, all of a sudden you're opened up to be able to see and know something about God. And he talks about the light of the Word, showing a way to take your next steps in life. You see, the Word of God, when we study it and dive into it and let it nourish our bodies and flood over our hearts, it gives us an experience with the Creator of the universe. Let's just read a little. Your word is a lamp to my feet and the light for my path. And by the way, think about all the voices of culture that are crying out, come this way, go this way, come this way, believe this. And the the words, the word is the one that lights the way. I've taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much, preserve my life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, O Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes, I love this, are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. You get the idea, and this is just one of those eight verse sections of this thing. But how important it is for us to dive into the Bible and to to look and let it nourish our bodies and to have an experience of who God is. Look, the Word is written by a loving God who desires to have a loving relationship with humanity. That's what He wants. If we get it down to where it's just a list of do's and don'ts, like a like a code written law, well, I think I think it was Lakato that said this. If you view if you view the Bible that way to find God, it's kind of like looking at a road map of Colorado and saying you experienced the Rockies. You know, it's just not the same. In the book of uh, Ezra, calling people back to God. In Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, he says this For Ezra had set his heart to seek the law of Jehovah, to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and ordinances. Now, think about what that means. The first thing that happened with Ezra said there had to to be some heart preparation. He had to prepare his heart. When we seek the law, we have to make sure that we're seeking it with integrity, that we're seeking it with humility, that we're seeking it with honesty. That we're seeking with authenticity of what we believe. Because one thing I can tell you about the next generation coming up, they can spot a fake church a mile away. And no matter what you do in the assembly, they'll know if you're serious or not. And your kids will know if you're serious or not about uh, what you believe about the Bible and how it's interacting with your life. And it's seen so clearly. What I love about this church family, from our response time to our small groups, I love the authenticity and the sincerity of life. That just, we're just here to help each other in our, in our struggles, and our joys, whatever. We're just family. We're forever family, right? And that has to be because that's a huge part of us being able to reach out to this next generation. Heart preparation. Being vulnerable to the God's teaching and what... And what he has said. And then he says this. Read. Or seek it. As Ezra says. Now this verse here in 2 Timothy. Is usually the one we first go to. When we talk about the word of God. Because he says. all scripture is God breathed. Now. When God breathes. Something out. Or God speaks. Great things happen. He spoke the universe. Into existence. He breathed life into man when he created him. And so when he uses men from different places through the 66 documents that we have called the Bible, from a variety of situations and personalities and cultures, and yet comes up with a same message, God breathed these words. They didn't originate, as Peter said, they didn't originate with the prophets. They didn't come up with it. But the Holy Spirit moved them to put these on the written page. Which, by the way, something else that's kind of interesting about the next generation, the millennials. I was reading a deal about uh, how to how to reach them and how to preach. One to be online because they're online about everything, right? Uh, and uh, uh, a matter of fact, I, I find myself doing that. You know, you don't know. I probably already took. You probably already had your picture taken and posted on Facebook already this morning, right? It goes that quick. Be online with scripture. But the other thing about is that, but they still, as much as they're in a culture that's all about screens, they still like to have the printed page of the Bible. I thought that was interesting. So I started asking around about parents, and they were like, hey, yeah, you know what, my kid, she carries her Bible everywhere. And I kind of thought that was an interesting thing about this next generation. These scriptures, they're God-breathed. They're useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in Righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If we send our kids out unequipped, then don't be shocked when they have problems with the culture they're trying to live in. That job is ours. We must equip each other with the Word of God. And a part of reading it is not just reading it on the printed page. But it involves the psalmist talks a lot about this. Involves meditation. It involves thinking about the scripture. Someone asked me, what do you think meditation? What does that mean? I mean, do you have to sit on the floor and cross your legs and go? Hmm, I mean, you know, what, how does that work? Well, let me ask you: this. How many of you have ever uh, spent much time worrying about something, like an election or something? You know." Well Meditation is the other side of the coin. Meditation is where worries your mind's all wrapped up but it's but it's got fear, it's got all these kinds of things about why my worry is Yeah, your, your mind is all wrapped up in enjoying in and in thinking about God's word that you've read. And it permeates your mind and your heart and your language. And so it, it's, the, it, it, it's 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 work, except on the positive side. You're meditating, you're thinking about it over and over. Got it? And so that kind of thinking, that doesn't happen by accident. You have to take time to make that happen. Uh, yesterday morning I got up early, I hit, I hit the treadmill a little bit, and uh, so I, I put my earbuds in, I clicked on the, uh, the Bible, you know, to listen to it. And for 30 minutes just listen to God's Word. Now, look, a lot of times I get on there and walk and I I listen to the news. Now, let me ask you, which one do you think benefited me the most? Oh, listening to God's Word, no doubt. No doubt. I'm kind of like that guy said, I get up every morning and say, I read the newspaper and the Bible and I know what both sides are up to. Well, it's kind of like that, you know? But that time to seek, meditate, dive into the nourishment that God wants us to experience and have from a word that is alive and can cut to the heart and change us and move us and make us look more like Jesus Christ. Then he says not just to seek it but to respond and do it. Matthew 7, at the end of this great Sermon on the Mount, you remember Jesus preaches, and he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. John thirteen seventeen. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Oh, so not only reading the Word, but responding to the Word and letting it move me into action in my life. And then there's reproducing it into the lives of other people. 2 Timothy 2, 2. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, Paul tells Timothy, to entrust the reliable people who will also be qualified To teach others. It's reproducing that in the lives of other folks. We desperately need to recommit ourselves as a church to dive into the doctrine of God's Word. And we need to dive into it with some conviction and some commitment. Look, Jesus came full of grace and truth. Now, I've always said, kind of growing up my heritage, we shouted truth and whispered grace. But I think the problem is that once we've discovered grace, that we haven't really had an emphasis of truth with any conviction. And there are different things that are taught by different churches, and I'm not willing to give up doctrine just for anybody and everybody. And so that experience that I'm desiring to have with God is found in the depths of His Word, and I need to be able to grow in that. And we need to help our kids be able to grow in that. And hold to some conviction of doctrinal faith. Look, it is not judgmental to stand up for a doctrine you believe in. But always with an attitude that says, I am still warning. It can never be an arrogant thing. Arrogance does not look like Jesus. Humility looks like Jesus. Desire, open-heartedness toward hurting people, that looks like Jesus. So regardless of where I arrive in studying something, I can't be hateful or arrogant or judgmental in the sense that I've got everything on right, but maybe one day come along, I'll show you some good things. Or I've, I'm such a deep student, I'll tell you why. hey, if you'll come here, I will, I mean, I'll really open some things up to you. Who does that? Well, I'll tell you, a New Testament writer describes those as false teachers who follow their arrogance and their own pride in what they do. We can't ever take that position. But we, at the same time, must be a people who are committed to discovering and hanging on to the truths of God and allow each other grace as we grow and learn about the doctrines that God would have us to believe. Thank you, God, for the Bible. It has a power in and of itself to cut to the heart and to the bone, Hebrew writer says. And you will never fully discover who Jesus is without it. Remember what the Hebrew writer says. In the old days, in the past, God spoke. He spoke through some prophets and some different times and different situations. But now in these last days, he's speaking and revealing things through the one called Jesus. The revelation of God and God's Word helps us discover who Jesus is and how to follow him as a child. Of God. So an emphasis on studying God's Word must always be with an attitude that says, It will help me be more like Christ because it forms my character, it shapes my attitude, and it changes my heart. I am thankful to God for the Bible. Aren't you? And boy, I tell you what, you know... Uh, Gordon, I remember you and I were watching a video uh, about some folks uh, uh, in some other parts of the world that didn't have the Bible. And all of a sudden they came in. you remember that? And they opened up and they started handing Bibles to people. And they were kissing the Bible. They were bowing down. They uh, They were so thankful, thankful to have just defined the words of God. And I look on my shelf and you look on your shelves and they're everywhere. And they're on our phones. And the words are there. And we have such access to God's Word. And yet I'm not sure we really take advantage of the power that's accessible to us through the Word of God. And as a result, sometimes our life gets turned upside down. Because if we don't follow God's Word... The world will do that. It will turn your thinking on its end. And as a wise prophet said, your culture will call things that are right wrong and call things that are wrong right. It'll call things like killing a baby in the womb a right thing to do when God's Word would call that wrong. Culture will turn us up on our heads if we do not know the word. With that in mind, let's watch this next uh, video here before we end. It's simply called the truth.
0: This is the truth. if you turn things upside down you can't hope for your life to change i would be lying to you if i said that you have a great future ahead that you can recover from your past mistakes that your life could be filled with joy that your children could be safe and healthy more than anything you must know human beings cannot accomplish these things and i'm convinced of this because i know you all you are capable of is failure you have made a complete mess of your life and i refuse to believe under any circumstances that you can turn things around in the coming years you may think your life is bad now but there's more to come You have only one destiny, and whether you like it or not, this is what is real. I am the Lord your God. You should know I believe exactly the opposite. I am the Lord your God. This is what is real whether you like it or not you have only one destiny there's more to come you may think your life is bad now but you can turn things around in the coming years i refuse to believe under any circumstances that you have made a complete mess of your life and all you are capable of is failure And I'm convinced of this because I know you. Human beings cannot accomplish these things. More than anything, you must know that your children could be safe and healthy, that your life could be filled with joy, that you can recover from your past mistakes. You have a great future ahead. I would be lying to you if I said, That you can't hope for your life to change. If you turn things upside down. This is the truth.
1: So if your life has been turned upside down by the world, i got good news for you. It's called the Gospel, the story of Jesus. his death, burial, and resurrection. If you want to be baptized into Christ today, making Him the Lord of your life, start brand new. That's what our invitation is about. We're going to have a song in a moment. If you've just been caught up in sin and this old world and just want some prayers to change that or need some help, that's what family's for. So we offer you that invitation. Don't let your life stay turned upside down by the world. Let God invade it with his word and with his son and with his spirit. You'll never be the same. I promise you. If you ever need, come while we're well, together, we stand and we sing.